Did You Read with Tim Montgomery. Welcome to Did You Read, the latest edition of the Times Opinion podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and this week I'm joined by Susie Jagger, Patrick Kidd and Roger Boyce. Libya is at risk of fracturing into three fiefdoms, Tripoli in the west, Benghazi in the east and Sabah in the south. Libya has enjoyed no stability since the overthrow of Gaddafi and points to a sobering third chapter of the Arab Spring, the first being uprising and coup, second nascent democracy and third terrifying chaos. As the Middle East burns, literally, we have a foreign secretary with no foreign policy experience and a government with no foreign policy at all. It's a hot summer. Wars in Syria, Iraq, Gaza, Ukraine, Afghanistan, trouble brewing in the South China Sea, Libya in flames. It hasn't been that bad for a century. All these flare-ups seem insoluble, so it's tempting to look away, do the Harold Macmillan thing, and shoot some grouse on the moors. But is all this killing really so difficult to stop? Cameron's packing the latest Ben McIntyre book, Sensible Fellow. Miliband's sucking up to a Labour donor. Clegg's contemplating the resistance, and Farage, surprise, surprise, is obsessed with Brussels. But what does the holiday reading of our political leaders really reveal? And wouldn't it be better if they read less on holiday and more during the working week? Well, I'm looking forward to your topic at the end, Patrick, because uh, Susie and Roger have dished up some pretty gloomy fare for us. For it's our war first everywhere. War everywhere, yeah. So uh, I think in a way, Susie's and Roger's topics might merge into each other a little bit. But Susie, let's um, start uh, with your theme. And Libya was supposedly the limited foreign policy intervention to rescue interventionism. This was the intervention that David Cameron and Nicolas Sarkozy led. We didn't commit ground troops, but we provided the aerial cover, etc., to ensure that uh, Benghazi wasn't, the people of Benghazi weren't massacred by Gaddafi. It looked okay-ish at the time of that intervention, but it really has descended into chaos now. I think what it exposed is, A, we messed up because the Americans had to bail us out. The Americans, as you know, had, had sought to take a back seat in mm. the no-fly zone. Leading from behind was the leading expression. Leading from behind. <laughs> Just for um, a change. <laughs> for a change. But by the end, what emerged was that America had to bail out Britain and France, that we messed up over it. And also the corollary of our intervention, or rather the corollary of assisting the rebels to overthrow Gaddafi, um, has, has shown that... Um, Libya is leading the trajectory of um, the next chapter of the Arab Spring. We're now in the third chapter of the Arab Spring. So we've gone from uprising and coups, Mm -hmm. overthrow of a government, which we saw in Tunisia, in Libya, and only halfway, obviously, in Syria. And then the the second stage, which was nascent democracy, which to an extent has sort of held in Tunisia Mm -hmm. and has collapsed in Libya. They've chased away two prime ministers, one of them literally fleeing the country. And now we're in a state of absolute anarchy kidnappings, um, the assassination of the American ambassador. Mm. Um, there's no safety whatsoever. And it's, it strikes me that this is a rather depressing foresight into perhaps how the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the Arab Spring region is, is, going to, uh, is, is going to project itself. I do think it was partly because of the nature of how we intervened. We just gave the sort of militia groups, the tribal militia groups, the air cover to be able to be safe from Gaddafi's forces but they were the people that basically toppled the regime and they never had coherence and they're at each other's throats and 
Is that part of the reason why Libya has failed? I think it's that we, we had to make it up as we went along. Yeah. And I'd be very interested in Roger's view on this, but um, what's, what struck me from the very beginning is that uh, subject to the number of cuts within the Foreign Office, which is not Cameron's fault, this is just a process of how we've reduced what used to be an absolute Class A diplomatic service. Because the Foreign Office cuts have been about 50%, haven't they? A- absolutely. The huge cuts. And what Libya showed us when Chris Prentice, who was then our man in Rome, who had to be brought back to uh, Benghazi, is that we had an absolute paucity of Arabists. Mm. We simply didn't have the expertise to be able to put together what a foreign policy position should be on this rapidly changing Middle Eastern region. So we didn't exactly learn the lessons of our lack of preparation in Iraq. Absolutely not. I want to come back to your point about Philip Hammond in a minute or two, but Roger Boyd, um, do you, Susie Jaggers made her case, do you basically agree with it? Well, yes, sort of. My main problem is with this sense of powerlessness that we have uh, that's been evident really since the Arab Spring began. We were caught. That's, of course, why we're undernourished with Arabists, because it seemed like the Middle East was a forgotten area that we didn't really need all that much. Uh, and so we invested in Chinese, in Chinese speakers. Yeah, that's that's what's happened with the Foreign Office. But there is this sense of powerlessness, and you got it, and it does all hang together because this was the feeling I got with William Hague, pretty much nine months, ten months before his um, realignment or, or relocation. What, what's the human sacking. resources sacking? Thank you. Well, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think he chose to go. Yes, he, he chose to go. Retirement. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. his early retirements. Yeah. Anyway, it's basically, you called for in a column. Yes, um, a couple yes. of months before he did actually go. So I'm, yes. it was Roger. What what did it? I reckon. Well. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off. Yeah, the, we're going. Topic, we're yeah. going off the thing. Yeah. Anyway, the sense of powerlessness, basically, and we don't know how to deal with strong men. You know, one of the one of the real mess ups of the Libyan intervention was the way that Gaddafi was killed and and finished off. What kind of signal did that send to any other? Arab state that we are trying to persuade to give up weapons of mass destruction, for example. It was, it was a, a chaotic end. You end up dead in a gutter. You end up dead in a gutter, uh, dropped by the people who, who had kind of bribed you. Point, so Susie's Roger. desperate to come in. Just on that point, um, Gaddafi was killed in the way in which it, it was, it, I don't say it was appropriate, but he died in a way that was absolutely aligned with how, with the regime and the, the theme of the regime and the brutality of a regime that he had dictated and structured in his own image for 40 years. Um, there, is a, there is an absolute irony that, that he died in that way, because that is how he set up his regime. I have mm. no well, I, I don't think front. there's any place for irony in foreign policy. I, I, I think that on the whole one tries not to do eye for an eye and that there were other ways of, 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 the, of finishing the Libyan endgame that wouldn't have the led to, to this present sorry chaos. For are the Libyan what, what, what were those other ways, Roger? Well, those ways would have involved some kind of tribal arrangement uh, with our Arabists, you know, uh, being And why wasn't that done? Because it was very hard, weren't we We engaged? wanted to get out as fast as we could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that was, that was it. That was the problem with this idea of liberal, in, liberal interventionism. It has to be short, in and out, and we were out. I'm not so saying we should have supplied Gaddafi with bodyguards. He had enough kind of beautiful bodyguards as mm-hmm. it was. <laughs> but um, We should uh, have given and we don't, him we weren't and mourning other Gaddafi. dictators an exit plan is basically what you're yes, saying. Yes, yes, there are different ways of doing it. Just as Frank, uh, I was, now we're really straying, I was really against Obama's shooting of um, uh, Osama bin Laden. I thought 
that was that was absolutely the wrong thing to do an really? extrajudicial shooting well we should have well I may be old fashioned I thought we should have wrapped him in a plastic bag and brought him back and put him on a trial like Eichmann in Israel I, I think that's the way we should do things it would have been things. a huge rallying point if we had done that for jihadis and well who cares we would have still been true to true to our basic values um you can't run foreign policy as if it's a homeland script, you know. Okay. Uh, just one oh, we quick must bring point. Patrick in a minute, but we go on, Susie. But, but one, one quick point. When you say we don't know how to deal with strong men, I would argue we don't actually know how to have strong foreign secretaries. On your point about Haig, Haig had four foreign policy speeches and there wasn't a single idea in any of them. I think you... Uh, one of the Well, he was we big on rape. I mean, he's, he was big on public diplomacy. Big on um, um, opposing... Sorry, opposing uh, sexual violence sexual in war. In, yeah. in war, yeah. Mm -hmm. Susie mentioned, um, Patrick Kidd, um, William Hague giving four foreign policy speeches. And I think it was Fraser Nelson who said we have in William Hague perhaps the best orator in British politics, but he keeps giving speeches which say nothing at all, <laughs> which may be a bit hard. Well, but Fraser Nelson also called William Hague the worst foreign secretary in a generation. I don't know if that was in the same piece, but in a piece mm. recently. Well, I thought, God, well, we've had Margaret Beckett. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I must say David Owen. Um, yes, I mean, and Douglas Hurd. I can make quite a long list, actually. He was, he yes. was, uh, I suppose foreign secretary is only following the policy of the government or the Prime Minister taking a lead and perhaps David Cameron doesn't have too much of an interest in, in foreign politics. He did seem to be Europe. though like this super diplomat didn't he? He was always there shaking hands with global leaders and he looked the part and he made people sort of very welcome but yes. you weren't ever really sure what he was his goals were. Well Hillary Clinton in, in her, her new book calls him was it the king of toasting yeah. or, or <laughs> em, em, emperor of grilling or something yeah. But, yeah. but that's all she has to say about yeah. him. And um, now we, we, toast. Yeah we need a foreign secretary who, who is a bit more substance, I suppose. But I, I quite liked the fact that Haig looked like a foreign secretary, yeah, yeah. at least. But then I suppose Anthony Eden looked like it's a foreign secretary. It's very Blairite of you. He's all about the look. Um, <laughs> and back to your point, though, Susie yes. Jagger, about um, Philip Hammond. You know, he, poor guy, becomes foreign secretary. I think two days afterwards, we had the shooting down of the Malaysian jet over eastern Ukraine. We've got the huge flare-up in Gaza, of course. We have ISIS still doing all that they are uh, uh, doing in Iraq, particularly against uh, the Christian population. But he was defense secretary for, I think, two and a half, three years. You know, he has got that sort of background. He's not starting uh, looking at these global issues from with a blank piece of paper in, in front of him. Um, that's th that's true, but he was supposed to be chief treasurer, uh, chief secretary to the treasury. That's what he was always being lined up for. Yeah, but that was two thousand and ten. That's a, a, a long, long time ago in politics. He's a businessman. Yeah. He has no foreign policy experience, and I think uh, it wouldn't be unfair to put a question mark over what he achieved in defence, apart mm -hmm. from massive cuts, which are. Well, he was loathed by the Ministry of Defence, but by the. But people all, all defence. To be fair to him, all defence secretaries are loathed by the Ministry of Defence <laughs> until they are finally pushed out. Because but he was seen as an accountant. Because he was seen as an accountant. But he's um, good in. The, in sorry, it, 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 precisely for that reason, because uh, he now has to orchestrate a foreign policy. Um, that can no longer punch above its weight, partly because he's just sacked in his previous job, 20,000 soldiers, and helped to withdraw us from Afghanistan, Iraq, and indeed Germany. So it's a natural continuation of what he did. He cut, he, he's well, cut Pat Patrick Britain's Kidd. hard power. Mm. 
Patrick, the truth is, isn't he, that uh, Philip Hammond was brought in largely as a political move. He is the foreign secretary who will countenance, or has said he will countenance Britain leaving the European yes, Union. Yes, it's all about nothing was Nothing was happening on EU renegotiation, and Cameron wanted someone to send a message to UKIP voters, to his own backbenchers. This is the guy who you can trust to carry out a proper renegotiation. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Negotiation. And unfortunately, as Susie has sort of suggested, a foreign secretary does have to, does have to do other things than just look about look at Europe. True, but a foreign secretary also has to sound and, and, and look right on the stage. Philip Hammond is such a cold fish that you could serve him with salmon as you aren't. He is ab- utterly devoid of charisma. John Redwood looks lively and, and charming in comparison. And so I can't you see... You are a harsh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't see Philip Hammond doing those sort of... I mean, you talked about William Hague being very good at speeches, mm. which he is, but I, I can't see him... Hammond quite doing that. Uh, Do we want someone good at, at least on the Europe issue? Don't we just want someone who's going to get well, Churchill won a war with speeches. Of, um, is someone just stuck into the detail of the European treaties? That's what Cameron wants from his foreign secretary. At well, the moment, you're you're right. He wants his foreign secretary to be interested in Europe, not Libya and the Middle East and, and stuff like that. And arguably, Hammond, we suspect, is there as a placeholder until after the election when George Osborne, having saved the economy, will, will shift and save Europe. Well, that's the, the his intention. Um, Susie? Unfortunately, Cameron doesn't have a foreign policy. His foreign policy from the very beginning was was based on trade, which was, you know, in a rather crass way, filling planes full of business people and flying Mm. them out to India. Mm. And I think that's the big problem. And I'm interested in Roger's view on this. Pig sperm? He's selling pig sperm to the Chinese, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) That's a big success. (laughs) There's a vacuum of of actually a foreign policy position. We don't know what our position is in the Middle East. Uh, Well, I think, I don't think that's such a terrible thing. I, I I would like more thought put by the Conservative Party into foreign policy. You've got all these worthy terms from the Fabian Society and from from the Labour Party in general about foreign policy and almost nothing apart from Liam Fox on what we should be doing, what what the party should be doing. But but that's not really the point. I'm still with Harold Macmillan going grouse shooting during the Suez crisis. And I'm still with Edward Gray going fly fishing in the in the week before the First World War. I'm kind of, there is a kind of, rec- there has to be a recognition, and I think that's a conservative thing too, about the limits of what you can actually do. And, and you, you uh, talk about limits, Roger, but in yeah. your menu topic for us, you said... Is all this killing really so difficult to stop? You seem to be more ambitious for our foreign policy than mm. wanting to set limits. What, 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 what is the Roger Boy's foreign policy? Well, the difference is that I've changed overnight, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you and, are like William Hague. Yes, I'm very <laughs> like William Hague in this respect. <laughs> no, um, uh, yes, of course. No, the thing is wars end for all sorts of different reasons. And very rarely is it to do with our particular intervention. Uh, we have to find a way of dealing with strongmen leaders like Putin and, and Assad. Uh, we have 
have to realize that they're heads of coalitions of interests and we have to try and break them up that they're not some kind of unassailable dictators uh, who you know have um, food tasters and and murder people in their bars i mean they are those they are those things too but there are ways of of breaking up their power base and so on you know there are detailed ways and and mainly most wars are solved by timing um and the chances are that in five years time there won't be a repetition of a gaza war there'll be a different constellation of forces uh we can already see it because you're talking like a foreign office diplomat now and, and, and i'm not I really just, sure where yeah, you're going yeah. with it and i'm speaking in english rather than I, I, th- I thought you were going to come with um a, a plan of action for us to stop the killing a plan you're, you're talking about <laughs> constellations of circumstances yeah such like I'm well I'm, I'm hearing not sure my, you um, have got a plan here well uh, I, I think know. the campaign starts here Lord Boys of Whopping <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the next foreign secretary <laughs> yeah well now I'm here uh, sadly as diplomatic editor not as God so I can't really solve all those things I never that realized the two I, positions were different I mean my <laughs> my point was simply can we go to the beach and relax this summer or not and I think my point is well yes because there's not an awful lot we can do about all this bloodshed and killing it there are certain dynamics that are going to sort it out uh, anyway okay but won't um our sort of turning our back on all of this come back to we should stay us? interested we should stay interested aren't yeah. we these yeah. these people that are killing um Christians in um, Mosul, um, these people that are uh, angry across the Middle East because of Israeli bombardments or Hamas's rocket fires, these people dying over eastern Ukraine. We can't isolate ourselves from all these events, pretend that we can just enjoy our beach holidays, can we? No, but we can't be their psychotherapists either, right? I mean, there's a lot to be said, frankly, for going to the beach and reading Tom Clancy. Okay, well that. that <laughs> uh, well, I'm uh, I'm not convinced by this, but we will move. <laughs> we will move on. And beach holidays and beach reading is your topic for us, Patrick. I'm, I think we need a change of tone. Yes. Um, uh, you're uh, delighted with the Prime Minister's choice of reading, which is Ben McIntyre's latest book. <laughs> well, but, uh, I'm delighted for Ben because Ben's short of cash. As <laughs> 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 yeah. um, what, what What would you like our um, leaders to be doing? You'd like them to be reading more when they're here back in London, not just when they're on the beaches of Tuscany, Ibiza <laughs> yes. and all that. Well, well, they were all asked by the Sunday Times yeah. to list five books that they would take on their extensively long holidays. And as the father of a child roughly the same age as Cameron's youngest and, and Miliband's too, I can't see them getting through five books because when you're on holiday with a child, you're never going to. So it's a slight vanity exercise and I'm sure their choices were focus grouped just as when Gordon Brown was asked for his favourite biscuit and had to go and ask around before coming up with an answer. Was um, it Garibaldi? I think he wanted something like a digestive in the end. No, Safe. Maybe a hobnob. You, you can so Cameron, a hobnob would have been blessed. Yeah. It? So of course we're, we're looking for meanings. So it's so, very good. C- Cameron's gone for Ben McIntyre's book, um, yeah. uh, A Spy Among Friends, which is about Kim Philby, all about betrayal. People say, therefore, that's what we should look into. He's also gone for <laughs> Baroness Trumpington's memoirs, which are brilliant. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. they're very good. And uh, something to read with his, his daughter, Ed Miliband gets a lot of respect from me because he's only picked three books, which I think is much more realistic with two small <laughs> children. Uh, but he's gone for um, the new Robert Galbraith, which is J.K. Rowling's um, pen name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I d- did wonder whether there was a, an Amazon cock up there, and he actually said, can I have something by J.K. Galbraith? Yeah, that, that, that would be yeah, sound yeah. like more. Uh, no, no, it was a signal to Scotland. It was, it was a pre-Scottish <laughs> referendum. Well, she she, yeah, she yeah, donates yeah. to the Labour Party. Yeah. Uh, there's also gone for uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is a 20-year-old novel, and Tristram Hunt's book. Uh, I won't read them all, but Clegg has gone, gone well, for... Was What's Tristram Hunt? Uh, Ten cities that made an empire. Okay. 
Um, Clegg's gone for a Paddy Ashdown book about the French resistance called The Cruel Victory, which could apply to perhaps <laughs> Clegg himself. That's a bit creepy, a getting cu- his um, campaign manager's book. Well, yes. Holiday, He's gone for a couple yeah. of novels and David Attenborough's uh, uh, biography. And then Farage, bless him, can't stay away from Europe. He's gone for, for two books about Brussels, one called The Trouble with Europe, and one is Jonathan Hill's... Um, uh, account of the Maastricht vote. Uh, Jonathan Hill, now who's that? Well, he's yeah. the new EU. <laughs> <laughs> he's also gone for a couple of First World War books. Now, I mean, the, the, we can psychoanalyse this today, but actually, my worry is that we no longer have politicians who make time during the working week to read. Harold Macmillan, you mentioned earlier, mm. would always be going upstairs to... to read Jane Austen. Read Jane Austen. Mm. Well, he famously got through the entire works of Jane Austen in one session and mm. then went back and did it again. Mm. And he used to keep notes in his diary about what he'd been reading. Uh, John Major was very fond of tucking himself up with a trollop and a curry. Mm. But, um, <laughs> oh, oh, dear, um, oh, dear. I, 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 yes, I, I want my politicians t- to read more, to have background. They can, they can be histories, they can be novels, anything that makes them think about other things. I'd look yeah. quite like the first question in Prime Minister's Question Time. Will the Prime Minister tell us what he's reading and does he like it? Um, and then you can say, yes, I'm reading Fifty Shades of Chris Grayling or something. I want politicians who do more than just be politicians. Yeah. But so when the, you've got young kids so on holiday, I, you're I never going to I, I saw on Twitter the other day someone suggesting that the holiday, I do a holiday reading for a politician was a book on how to be a special advisor. And I thought, oh my goodness, that was <laughs> so dry on the, on the beaches. You don't really mind what they read as long as it broadens their horizons so history fiction it's just you don't want them just to be lost in political textbooks is that right Patrick? Indeed, indeed I want them to know there's a world out there and I want that to be more than just a holiday um, I quite like Cameron to take an afternoon off to read from time to time well, I think that, I mean, Roger Boyd it's a generational you're right about the generational thing and how kids destroy reading patterns aren't you but and, and Harold Macmillan read the whole of Jane Austen because he was 70 years yes, old yeah. you know. so but I, I would advise them just to catch up on their sleep and get some fresh air I mean I think that's much better for the brain than you know boring old printed words you know um, uh, no and it's certainly much better than the standard of political biographies I, I, I was quite surprised in this list that there isn't a single is there a single political biography there? That usually they no, no, no. there isn't. No, Patrick, Patrick doesn't want there to be political biography in there. He wants well, them to read uh, other things. Cameron's gone for a book on Gavrilo Princip, the the assassin who started yeah, the First World War. Yeah, but, that might be handy, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, there's um, well, Baroness Trumpington, I suppose. But that's yeah. that, that's fun rather yeah. than yeah. Um, Susie Jagger, are you impressed with our politicians? Reading, do you think, and do you think they're going to read these books over the no, summer? I was going to say, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about it. I mean, the, the amount of political branding that goes into this. I remember seeing a picture, I think it was last summer, of Ed Miliband going on holiday with a stack full of the most tedious political theory books. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, what is the message that you're trying to put out on this? Is it that you're even more dull and boring than we thought you were? Um, or is it just that you're even more. Who's, who's more dull then? We, Philip Hammond or Ed Miliband? That seemed to be the big debate Ooh, issue that's of the a podcast one. now. That's a dirty question (laughs) (laughs) anyway I'm interrupting your flow I'm sorry no I I, I just think that the um, the extent to which um, these uh, the political leaders are manicured and presented to us as um, as a brand and as an image is so is now so complex and is now so polished that you're never going to know what these people are reading you know even if they are being authentic we have become so cynical now we think it's all so stage managed and spun we don't believe I think so what they're in this and do you, Patrick, believe that when the Sunday Times 
contacted the leaders' offices and said, please give us your five books. Um, Ed Miliband <laughs> actually drew, and David Cameron drew these lists out, or were they written up for them by advisors? <laughs> well, I am a bit cynical about it, in the same way that when they go on Desert Island Discs, Quite they good. ask around them. Um, uh, Miliband was on recently. Yes, had had. No one. Was it David Cameron, Josie? Chose that milkman um, June didn't it Ernest oh, no. the fastest yes, milkman the well, yeah. no, no advisor it. could have chosen <laughs> that for him <laughs> well when Ed Miliband went for aha didn't it <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that something that he one of his first songs was it, was it Justine oh, or that was oh, something too, like that. You know. oh Justine because of yes I see yeah. mm. what's your holiday reading Tim oh I I'm I'm not going away until the early September so can I answer then <laughs> And actually, you're going to have it focus grouped. I'm going to have it focus grouped, yes. and it, perhaps you draw up the list for I me, will. Patrick. Patrick, Roger, Susie, we should probably finish there. We will be back next week for our final podcast of the uh, season, and then we will, some of us, be taking our various breaks. All it leaves me to do is to thank Dave Maguire producing this podcast. And if you'd like to read some articles as background to what we've been discussing, including Roger Boy's call for William Hague to go a couple of months ago, and I think we should link to your Sunday Times lists of book reading, um, Patrick, then please, as if you're a Times subscriber, go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and you can access those links. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>